0: minutes before 7 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Friday, April 9th, 2021. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. Sitka is adding a new color to the bottom of its color-coded COVID risk alert system, but it's going to take a lot of cooperation from the public before it's ever put into use. The Sitka Unified Command met on Wednesday after a three-week hiatus City officials shared COVID-related updates about everything from vaccines to mitigations for upcoming graduations. Cases in Sitka spiked after spring break, with local health officials reporting over half a dozen new travel-related cases. Sitka remains at a moderate alert with eight active coronavirus cases. Fire Chief Craig Warren said that beginning this week, there will be a new risk level added to the city's COVID alert system, but it will take some time before Sitkins can celebrate reaching it.
1: The yellow is not going to be the lowest level anymore. There will be kind of a chartreuse green that is the lowest level. Uh, Right now, it's going to take us 12 days of no cases to get to that level.
0: And while Sitka's vaccination rate shows signs of slowing, rates for seafood processors continue to climb. Public health nurse Denise Ewing said that Silver Bay Seafoods is inching towards a 100% vaccination rate for its staff. Ewing said she's holding more vaccine clinics for seafood processors this week. Both Mount Edgecombe High School and the Sitka School District are planning for in-person graduations in May. Sitka Interim Superintendent John Holst said that by the fall, he hoped schools would look even more normal, but still not quite pre-COVID
1: normal. Probably we'll be doing mitigation, maybe three feet. Masks, I'm sure, is going to be a part of that. Uh, But beyond that, we're going to try to get back to normal.
0: Officials also discussed new CDC travel guidance and how to share COVID-conscious resources for travelers who plan to visit Sitka this summer. The Sitka Sound sacro-herring fishery is winding down, and state biologists expect to close the fishery soon. Area management biologist Aaron Dupuis says the Alaska Department of Fish and Game is shifting out of active management mode.
1: Like right now, we're still going out there. We're flying, we're monitoring commercial fishery. We're not leaving it alone to do its thing. Um, So we're definitely on top of this, but it's for sure winding down. Um, I'd expect it to go another
0: day or two. Top. Dupuy says the bulk of the fishing fleet has left Sitka. Fewer than three processors and three permit holders are still participating, but due to confidentiality rules, Dupuy could not disclose the exact number. As of April 6th, the commercial fishing fleet had harvested 15,700 tons of herring. Now the department's energy is shifting toward the subsistence harvest and data collection. He says the department has started mapping spawning activity in Sitka Sound in a big way.
1: It held off for a long time. And uh, we saw this back in the mid-2000s when we had some cold springs where the spawn held off and held off and then it went off big. And that's what we're seeing right now, the spatial distribution of it right now. It's going off all the way from Windy, windy Pass area uh, down to Shoals Point. All the islands out in front of town are getting it. Our nice short flights that we had early on in the season are no more. We're up for a couple hours.
0: So far, ADF&G has mapped over 33 cumulative miles of spawn during aerial surveys. Despite decades of efforts, Sitka has no homeless shelter. The latest attempt by the Sitka Homeless Coalition fell through after the organization couldn't find a space to rent now as KCAW's Aaron McKinstry reports, the coalition is turning to a possible tiny home community instead to help tackle chronic homelessness.
2: Before last year, Kathy Carlson never imagined she could end up homeless. She lived in public housing but was evicted for failure to pay her rent. She says she didn't have an income and she didn't know where to turn.
3: Because I was not on my medication. I had three strokes and I have to be on antidepressants, and I wasn't, and I couldn't say two words without crying.
2: Eventually, the Sitka Homeless Coalition and another local organization helped her find and rent a room in someone's house. She says she's back on her medication, and she's reapplying for disability and public housing. All of that has been a lot easier with a roof over her head.
3: I got my place in... I was able to go see my doctors and I mean, I could have when I was homeless, but they always ask you where you live, you know, and it was embarrassing to say in my car, Crescent Harbor usually.
2: Still, Carlson was homeless for a year. If Sitka had a local shelter or temporary housing, she could have gotten back on her feet a lot sooner. According to a 2020 survey, 17 people in Sitka are homeless, although the number is likely higher. Gil Young, who heads up the Sitka Homeless Coalition, puts the number of people who are chronically unhoused at around 15.
3: And I think probably other people are quite fascinated by the idea that we're just looking to house 15 people when they have thousands to house.
2: Young worked for years to open a winter night shelter in Sitka, but the going wasn't easy. And no
3: one would allow us the use of their building. They wouldn't rent to us. They wouldn't rent to us for just two weeks' trial? Every answer was no.
2: Young was determined not to give up. So the coalition started a laundry and showers program to help anyone in Sitka facing housing insecurity. And as they continued building relationships with those they serve, Young started to realize that a shelter might not be the right solution anyway. Many of the people the coalition serves are older, they have disabilities and substance abuse disorders. A lot of them are constantly in need of basic supplies because they don't have a place to lock up their things. They need the whole home situation, not just a night, six
3: months of the year on the floor.
2: Young and coalition volunteer Hannah Green started scouring the web and making phone calls. And we were looking at like big cities, small cities, rural communities, like how did you start? How did it work? What doesn't work? Two pieces of advice stood out. The first was to implement a housing-first model. The idea is to get someone into housing as quickly as possible and then offer them supportive services on site. There's no time limit to how long someone can stay and very few requirements.
3: What they found is that after someone has a place and maybe a lock on the door and all their stuff in one spot, then they can start thinking about other things in their life, like a job and
2: sobriety
3: and reconnecting with their families and all of that.
2: The second was to build individual units rather than group housing. So everyone has a space of their own, which can alleviate safety concerns. Young and Green envisioned a community of 12 tiny homes. Each one would have a small kitchen and bed. There'd be a communal shower and laundry facility and an employee on site to help connect people with services if they want them. The next question was where to put it.
3: You see the pink ribbon? Oh, there it is. Yep.
2: Young, Green, and Carlson dodge branches as they hunt for pink flagging in a wooded lot at the end of Jarvis Street. This undeveloped land belongs to the Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority. The trust recently sent a surveyor to mark a two-acre section for the potential tiny home project.
3: This land right here and back in here has been traditionally where homeless people have had camps.
2: The trust serves people with mental illnesses and substance abuse issues, among other things. CEO Mike Abbott says the trust's million acres of land is typically used to generate revenue for trust programs, things like logging, mining, or oil and gas development. But when Young approached them about leasing the land for a project that directly benefits those they serve, they thought, why not?
1: So that's a little bit different, but it's a welcome difference as far as we're concerned.
2: Nothing is finalized. Abbott says the coalition will need to demonstrate a feasible financial plan before they'll consider a formal grant proposal. The trust paid for a planning report that puts startup costs at just over a million dollars. They'll also want to see strong community support, which city planning director Amy Ainsley says has been an issue in the past,
3: yeah, you know, sometimes finding an ideal location can be difficult because it's one of those things that people can support in abstract but might have strong opinions about where, you know, where is the appropriate place.
2: Building partnerships, bringing in utilities, clearing the land, the challenges are endless. But young is unfazed.
3: Things have just worked out just in an amazing way. And so I'm, I've learned to just not, not go there until it's time to be there.
2: She says eventually they could add more services, like a community garden, life skills classes, and employment opportunities. But the first priority is to get people out of the rain and sleeping on mattresses. Housing first. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry.
0: Throughout April and May, Raven News will be bringing you stories about affordable housing solutions every Friday as part of our Building Solutions series. To find photos and more in-depth reporting, please go to kcaw.org slash building solutions. And we have a correction to a story that aired on Wednesday and Thursday about a bridge in Tanneke Springs. The Indian River Bridge was 32 years old, not 22 years old, when it was destroyed in a December storm. We apologize for the error and that's all for raven news for this hour you can listen to our stories again on our website at kcaw.org hope you're having a great morning currently 32 degrees with a bunch of snow falling outside so please be careful take a little bit of extra time and take care this is morning edition on raven radio kcaw sitka it's one minute after 7 a.m we're headed into npr